Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. I'm Sass Elisha. And I'm Jeremy Heiner. And in these episodes, we are going to talk about clinical anesthesia topics. We'll talk about case management, pharmacology, critical events. We want to bring you the most up-to-date topics, and we want to do it in a power-packed, concise episode. Today... We're going to talk about the ASA 2022 Difficult Airway Algorithm. It came out a year ago. Your favorite thing to talk about. I do love talking about airway. We know your time is important, so we're going to get right to it. So take some deep breaths and pre-auctionate yourself because it is go time. It's go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. So, Mr. Airway Man, a couple things. Tell us about these updates in the ASA Difficult Airway Algorithm, and specifically, when were they released? Yeah, so these updates came out in January of 2022. Now, to give some context to the ASA Difficult Airway Algorithm, it was initially released in 1993. Sass, I'm pretty sure that you were in anesthesia school right around that time, weren't you? Do not start with me. Do not <laughs> go there. And the answer is yes, but do not go there. Uh, so, yeah, so they were updated again 10 years later in 2003. And that's when I was in anesthesia school. And then they were updated a third time in 2013. So this is the fourth iteration of the ASA Difficult Airway Algorithm. Now, I would say the most significant updates for this particular version is the fact that now they've used an international task force of anesthesia providers to review all of the evidence on airway management and provide recommendations. There is also a significantly greater focus on patient safety and outcomes. So it's more than just intubating and securing the airway. Finally, and if you look at the document, you'll notice that they have included infographics. There's four infographics to help with learning and understanding the algorithm. 
And, you know, I'm really glad because I remember learning the airway algorithm and looking at it. It was so unbelievably confusing. It certainly wasn't practical. There wasn't a lot of tips as to how to do things. And, you know, you just kind of had plan A and a plan B and really all the other stuff most people never paid attention to. So this is good. So, Jeremy, tell us about the specifics and what they did in the new algorithm. Yeah, so and, and you're absolutely right, Sass. Before the algorithm was a bunch of arrows going every which way and small print at the very bottom. So it was a document that you really had to read and study beforehand, not something you would pick up in an emergency. So they've tried to make it more available in, emer in an emergency to offload the cognitive burden. Now, of course, if this is to be used in an emergency, it would have to be used by somebody who's not doing a particular procedure. So let's talk about the specific updates in this fourth iteration of the ASA 2022 Difficult Airway Algorithm. There is a pre-induction decision tool to help with the decision between performing an awake intubation versus an intubation after induction of anesthesia. Next, in the, in the previous aver versions, they had talked about awakening the patient. And I always thought, you know, that's not really a practical solution. So with this iteration, it's, it's still there, but it's not emphasized as much. And it's only recommended if it's feasible. There is a major recommendation about providing oxygenation throughout airway management. We'll talk about that. Capnography is noted as the gold standard. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I do. The gold standard? Yeah. Uh, for ventilation confirmation. And there is a, a greater emphasis on awareness of the passage of time and just basic situational awareness. Also, there's a larger focus on extubation of a difficult airway. And then finally, for the first time, there are guidelines for pediatric difficult airways. And there's a, an infographic and an algorithm for that. So Jeremy, with all the updates, with better training, with education, and you know, certainly with all the other tools that we have today to manage an airway, is airway management safer today than it has been in the past? Well, if you just kind of go with what you were just saying, you would think it would be, but it's actually not. This is where I'm coming from. If you look at, there was a study done in 2019, and it was looking at closed claims analysis, management of difficult tracheal intubation using closed claims analysis. And what they did is they compared recent closed claim analysis to past closed claim analysis. And this is what they found. The incidence of difficult tracheal intubation has not changed, but the outcomes are actually worse. So some of the likely reasons, inadequate planning and judgment errors, poor system responses and system errors such as communication problems or a lack of training. There was, and we've talked about this before, a delay in placement of surgical airways in cannot intubate and cannot oxygenate situations. And then finally, because of all the new airway devices that have been put into practice, providers may not be familiar with some of those. And so there may be a degree of user error or inexperience with some of these newer devices. Yeah, so when you talk about inadequate planning, judgment errors, errors in communication, lack of training, all, you know, the first two things you mentioned, 
That's why we're, we've been talking about checklists and reviewing checklists and practicing with you know your team members in order to improve this. That's low hanging fruit. Yeah, and you said it right there, Sass. It all comes down to practice. We as airway providers and we're considered the airway providers, the go-to airway providers in the hospital. We have to maintain our skill set, and that means we have to put forth the effort. Now, a lot of these cognitive tools will help, like checklists and some of these, even this new ASA difficult airway algorithm potentially can help with that. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call them at 504-394-6557. All right, now you talked about intubation awake versus intubation after induction. Tell us about the big points that are changes there. Yeah, so the very first part of the updated algorithm has a decision tree and it's a series of four questions and it's simply a yes or no answer. And you go down those questions to decide whether or not you're going to, to perform an awake intubation or put the patient to sleep and manage the airway after they're asleep. And most people will know that the majority of the time, that's what happens. So these questions basically go over whether you suspect there is difficult laryngoscopy or difficulty with face mask ventilation and supraglottic airway placement? Is there a a major risk of aspiration or a significant risk? And is the patient at significant risk for desaturation? If the answer is yes to those questions, then that airway really should be managed awake. And here's, here's the bottom line in terms of awake intubation. There is very little risk with an awake intubation. The, the risk is really low. In contrast, in, in contrast, there are many potential risks of managing the airway in an asleep patient who's un, who is potentially paralyzed. I mean, you think about rapid desaturation. We know in our obese population, you put them to sleep, and it's like that saturation monitor jumped off a cliff. So in that decision tree, when all the answers are yes, and you should be doing an awake intubation, Why do you think that many people don't do this? I think it comes down to experience. The fact that we just don't do awake intubations very often. So think about anything you do. If you don't do it very often, you're not going to be comfortable doing that. In addition, when was the last time you saw an awake intubation performed? And if it had been a while for that provider, it may not have looked that smooth. A lot of coughing. Uh, a, a, lot, a lot of, it took a long time. There are strategies, there are techniques to manage an airway awake in a very efficient manner. And we'll do a podcast on that. So you mentioned, and we've all seen it on the old airway algorithm where it would say, consider awakening the patient. You and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. You put someone to sleep, you paralyze them. 
they're desaturating. And what are you going to do? You're going to spend minutes waking them up. Um, that's not going to lead to a very good outcome. So now the algorithm says if ventilation is adequate and airway adjuncts are unavailable to consider waking the patient up. Yeah, so there's a much less of an emphasis on waking the patient up earlier in the algorithm. The emphasis is now on ventilation and oxygenation. So one, providing oxygenation throughout the process and adequately ventilating the patient. And so you're looking at your end tidal CO2 and making sure that that's adequate. At that point, you could consider waking up the patient. Now, in a lot of situations, that's not going to be an option because we'll have other airway adjuncts and use those. But if a provider was unaware or not trained in a specific adjunct or if it were unavailable, then maybe that's a situation where you wake somebody up. Which is a perfect segue into our next update. And as I've always taught, breathing is always good, right? Sounds very simple. I still have students from years ago coming up saying breathing is good. That's what SAS taught me. Most importantly, <laughs> continuing, as we all know, the body remains metabolic even when someone's not breathing and providing oxygen to them is the most important thing. So and tell us about this new update about providing oxygenation throughout airway management and throughout that period. Yeah, and it really, it sounds so obvious and easy However, think about it. During stressful situations when we're task-focused, that we may not be able to be aware of everything that's going on around us. And there have been situations where people have been intubating and forgot to turn up the oxygen to 100%. So the task force is re has really emphasized in this updated algorithm the importance of providing oxygenation throughout airway management. And that's from pre-oxygenation before you put them to sleep, through the intubation procedure, and then throughout emergence and extubation. It's very stressed in, those, in, in all of those situations. Now, oxygenation can be optimized in two ways. And the first way is providing oxygen through a nasal cannula throughout the intubation procedure. Now we can use high flow and even if you don't have a high flow nasal cannula, just turn your oxygen dial up as far as it'll go. And if you have, if it's connected to the wall, you'll, it'll sound like a wind tunnel. Usually for us in anesthesia, it's connected to our anesthesia machine to that auxiliary oxygen output. So just turn it up as, as far as it'll go. The other thing that you can do to maximize oxygenation is sit the patient up, especially in an obese patient because that's gonna unload pressure on the diaphragm and the lungs. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. All right, so another update is capnography, as you said, is gold. And I wonder why you said that. <laughs> gold is good. Gold on is the, good. On the, on, e easy on caps. Easy caps, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, of course, we're most of the time are going to be depending on our anesthesia machine and our entitled CO2 and capnography there. However, in both adult and pediatric patients, the algorithm now states that end tidal CO2 and capnography is the gold standard 
to confirm adequate ventilation. And we've always taught this. Pulse oximetry is certainly delayed. And because of that delay, even if you put the tube in the wrong hole, is not considered an adequate indicator of airway patency. We talked about practicing. We talked about being situationally aware and aware of time in the time that's elapsed. So what does the algorithm say about these concepts now? Yeah, they, they actually spent some time discussing this, and you'll see this in various points in the updated 2022 algorithm, that there is a greater emphasis on awareness of the passage of time, no matter what airway technique you're doing, whether that's intubating or placing a superglottic airway or doing an awake intubation or even doing a cricothyrotomy. There is an emphasis on this time on how much time has passed also an emphasis on limiting the number of attempts for different devices so whether it's putting an endotracheal tube in or superglottic airway there should be a limitation on attempts there is also an emphasis on calling for additional help at several points in the algorithm and asking for additional resources task fixation i mentioned this earlier is a potential problem. And so that's why they're really focusing on trying to limit the amount of time when performing a particular procedure. And th the reason is this, is because it's dangerous if too much time goes by. Remember, brain cells can die really quickly, within four to five minutes, if they're not receiving an adequate oxygen supply. Yeah, so the old algorithm used to talk about attempts, and it used to talk about attempts at DL. But now the attempts are not only about DL, but it could be with placing a supraglottic airway device. So what is the new airway algorithm saying about how many attempts in terms of being able to manage an airway is reasonable, and why? Yeah, so the new algorithm says 3 plus 1, and that additional plus one is an attempt by another airway provider with a higher skill set. And this is not an absolute rule. And if you look at any professional airway algorithm, they're now saying limit attempts. And there may be a limitation of two attempts. Again, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's basically being aware that we're not putting things in the airway too much and causing trauma and bleeding and swelling because that's gonna make a difficult airway even worse. The amount of attempts really depends on the clinical situation. Is there already bleeding and swelling in the airway? What resources are available? What's the skill set of the provider? So all that comes into play. The bottom line is just be really careful and limit how many times we stick something in the airway. In the new algorithm, it talks about adjuncts or interventions, other techniques. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah, and it specifically references combination techniques. So we all know that, at least in the last algorithm, in the 2013 algorithm, there was a bunch of stuff about video laryngoscopy. And now we have even more. We have stylets that have cameras. We have rigid uh, devices that have cameras. So now they're talking about these combination techniques. And there is a lot of options in the algorithm in terms of combination techniques. I would say what we prefer to use are things with cameras on them. So video laryngoscopy with a bougie or with an optical stylet or even 
with a flexible intubation scope. And Sass and I like to call that technique Wi-Fi, video laryngoscopy, including flexible intubation, Wi-Fi. All right, there are also combination techniques using the flexible intubation scope. So you can use that through a superglottic airway device. That would also be considered a combination technique. So the algorithm goes over several different techniques. We're, gonna, we're not gonna mention those all today. So to round this particular update out, there is a massive emphasis on situational awareness and limiting attempts that will help the provider to consider maybe the indication of placing a surgical airway sooner rather than when it's too late. And you know, you mentioned here again, situational awareness. You can write that word on a piece of paper. You can show it on an algorithm. Unless people are practicing, when this happens, they won't be prepared. They won't be situationally um, aware. So therefore, practicing, going through it, you know, er over a certain period of time and reviewing things, talking with your colleagues, actually having time in the operating room. I agree with you. I don't see how, you know, intubation is going to become significantly safer without that education and without that continuous practice. And you're absolutely right. And that's the great thing is situational awareness is something that can be learned. It can be improved on, and, but it does take effort. Think about when you started anesthesia school and you were just focused. All I wanted to do was put the tube in, right? And I was completely focused on that. I had no idea about what was going on with the rest of the, with the, rest of the patient, the, the surgery, everything else. Now that I've been practicing for years, I have a greater appreciation of the overall global picture of the case and what needs to happen. And that, that's come from experience. It's come from practice. It's come from talking with colleagues and even doing simulation practicing. One of the other important in, uh, updates in the ASA algorithm is extubation. There's a greater focus on uh, on extubation. Sass, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can speak from, you know, experience. What we were always taught was if the patient's a difficult intubation, we don't extubate until they're sitting up and looking at us and are completely awake prior to extubation because we didn't know if we could get the tube back in. Yeah, and, and wouldn't you know it? That's pretty much what the recommendation is now, <laughs> which, you know, it, it took 20 years to get there. But hey, we got there and now it's documented on the algorithm. Uh, now, one other thing in terms of extubation, and, and this is more specific for follow-up care. So really when the patient's in the PACU and they're recovering from anesthesia and maybe difficult airway management where there was a lot of attempts and, and they have some swelling in their airway, there is some follow-up care suggestions such as giving steroids or racemic epinephrine when it's appropriate. Uh, Sass, what's your take on steroids? You do a great steroid talk. Yeah, so related to steroids, it's certainly not going to help you acutely for airway edema because the onset, for instance, of Decadron is an hour. And the peak effect isn't for many a number of hours after that. Um, I haven't seen any specific literature that shows that um, airway swelling is going to be significantly improved in the short term. But, you know, if you have a really bad situation with really bad swelling, it's probably not going to hurt. But I'm not sure that the science is there is that in that it will definitely improve outcomes. Okay, so there you go. And then the last part in terms of follow-up care is if you've got 
a patient with a difficult airway, number one, document that. Make sure it's in the medical record. And then encourage the patient to register with an emergency notification service when it's appropriate and even feasible. Yeah, now let's talk about the last update, which is super important. And we have less time with our little ones because they are hypermetabolic. Let's talk about this new update, this brand new airway algorithm, the pediatric difficult airway algorithm. Yeah, and for the first time ever, the ASA has a pediatric difficult airway algorithm. They have both an algorithm and an infographic. It's the fourth infographic that's available. It was developed in collaboration with the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia and the Pediatric Difficult Intubation Collaborative. And essentially it follows the same concepts that we just discussed with in terms of the adult difficult airway algorithm, such as limiting attempts, being situationally aware, and optimizing oxygenation throughout the peri-airway management period. Now, in addition, it considers early ECMO if non-invasive airway management is likely to fail. It also has uh, some information about providing an appropriate amount of anesthetic depth, making sure that there is enough anesthesia on board. There is discussion about promptly treating functional or mechanical obstruction. So a functional obstruction would be something like a laryngospasm. So treating that very quickly with medications if needed. And that me- a mechanical obstruction example would be like a keaked endotracheal tube or a mucus plug. And then finally, if needed, and we've talked about this, we've seen this in previous iterations of the difficult airway algorithm, rigid bronchoscopy is an option. It's an option for adults. It's also an option for children. However, it should be done by someone who's trained in the technique. So you got an ENT surgeon on hand, get him in the OR to help out with that. Okay, everybody, as always, thank you so much for spending time with us. We hope you found this to be valuable. Remember, you can claim Class B credits toward your recertification for listening to Beyond the Mass podcast. Also, if you like what you've heard today, please consider sharing it with a friend or even leaving us a review. It really helps people find the show. All right, CRNA Nation, that is it for today. Remember, keep ventilating, and we'll catch you on the next episode. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. 
Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.